Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Thanks, as always, for checking out the GM Shuffle. we got a great episode today. We're going to talk about NFL betting, who's overpriced, and the betting public. Plus, with so many people ordering takeout these days, we're the best fast food chains in America. Plus, the NBA is coming back. What are the lessons that they can do? And, of course, we have to start with what's happening across this country. According to the Washington Post, researchers are calling the protests the most sweeping and sustained in U.S. history. They've touched every state and prompted a national reckoning over systemic racism and the movement reverberating through corporate America. CrossFit CEO stepped down following insensitive comments. The entertainment industry is reconsidering its portrayal of black lives on screen. And Mike in the NFL, a couple of major incidents in the last week. Vic Fangio, the Broncos. An old white guy says, I don't see any racism in the NFL where 70% of the players are black. He's obviously heavily criticized. He apologized. And Drew Brees, who I've always liked, I think he's a classy guy. I think he's done a lot for the community of New Orleans, but he really put his foot in his mouth by saying he did not support anybody who kneels and does not stand for the anthem. And again, he makes the wrong assumption that somebody who's doing that, like Colin Kaepernick, he conflates that with somebody who's unpatriotic, when in matter of fact, what Kaepernick, Malcolm Jenkins, other guys are doing is in their mind being patriotic and fighting for the fact that there's social injustice and inequity in the NFL. Before we get into some stories that you can relate in terms of leaders in the industry and how they react to social issues like this. What did you make of Roger Goodell's speech? Because I felt, in no, a speech rather, just his apology, because I felt like it was half measures. He said, hey, sorry we didn't take this more seriously, but he didn't actually mention Colin Kaepernick by name. Yeah. You know, I, I thought it was the first time he spoke, it was almost like the legal wrote it, like somebody from legal wrote it. And the second time, you know, he felt like, okay, now, you know, this is way bigger than I thought it was and I need to react somehow, some way. So, you know, for me, it's 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 through his actions that are really going to to uh, manifest itself in terms of his belief. And obviously, you know, uh, you read the commentary and and co- whether Colin Kaepernick gets a job or not remains to be seen. But you would believe through this, and I mean, we've said it on this podcast numerous times. I mean, how can you make the case that Colin Kaepernick can't have a job when you watch Luke Falk play quarterback in the NFL? <laughs> You go through the list of them, and we've seen some really bad quarterbacks last year. Yeah. I mean, three games, the Jets had Luke Falk. I mean, you know, and so – and that just – to me, that adds more more credibility to the Kaepernick argument uh, that, you know, why isn't he at least on a team? You can debate how talented he is, but you can't debate that he's not better than some of the guys that are playing. So, you know, we'll see how the league reacts. I know that I, I think there'll be a team that there'll be a team or two that tries to sign Kaepernick. I truly believe that. I think that's what what has to happen. I think that's what what needs to happen. That if you list the thirty two starting quarterbacks and then you start listing the backups, I mean, you're telling me Kaepernick's not as good as those, and you're going to have to to be honest with yourself. And we know that's not easy for most NFL teams. As we've said here on the GM Shuffle, as you mentioned, is Colin Kaepernick a starting quarterback? I don't know. He's thirty two years old right now. I haven't seen him play in a while. His flaws are apparent. But is he 
as good as 60 quarterbacks in the NFL. Of course he is. And that's your point. He should be in the league at least competing for a job because of the dearth of talent, particularly when you get to the next level of quarterbacks. And in regards to Goodell, you're right. Talk is cheap. I always notice when someone says, I apologize, it's not as strong if someone says, I'm sorry. And I think if Roger Goodell just said, listen, I want to say personally, I'm sorry to Colin Kaepernick. I wish I'd handled that situation better. Then I think that would have had more resonance, at least in what the words are they saying. But you're right. Talk is cheap. Actions matter. You spent a long time the NFL. You look at a guy like Al Davis, who is iconic in so many ways, and not just for his teams and his demeanor, but also how he'd react to situations. We look right now, Mike, at the protests, the loss of lives of COVID-19. It's a really sad time in our country's history. We're going to look back, though, and say, perhaps this is going to be impactful. We're changing things. Look at Al Davis in 9-11. What could you tell me about that situation, how Al would have handled this moment specifically? Oh, you know, he was, you know, Al was so well read on American history and and understood the differences that divided the country back then. I mean, he lived through it, you know. He took teams, he was a head coach, he took teams on in the South where, you know, during the NFL you know, they weren't allowed to stay at the same hotel. Lombardi was the same way. He refused to separate and segregate his team in the South when they were playing. And Al was on 9-11 when that happened. I mean, immediately he came out and said, we shouldn't play football this weekend. Uh, and he loved football. We were getting ready to play the Jets and he secured the building. I mean, he hired security people to be around the building. And, and he was always, to me, you could engage him in a deeper conversation about social issues because he was impacted by social issues. You know, he understood the issues that needed to be resolved in this country. He was the first man to hire a black head coach in Art Shell. You know, he did a lot of first things. And I think that part of it was because he knew that as a leader, he needed to pave the way to help. Now, you know, it wasn't all perfect. Nothing always goes right, you know, but the reality was he tried to pave the way as did Bill Walsh. I mean, Bill Walsh, when I first got to San Francisco in 1984, you know, Harry Edwards, who I had really had no knowledge of, you know, who he was or what he was, and you couldn't Google. And then he brought Harry Edwards in at a time when Bill was trying to understand the culture of the 80s. You know, we're talking, you know, we're talking 30 years ago. And and Harry came in and they formed a friendship. I mean, a genuine friendship because Harry knew that Bill was coming from a place of sincerity. Harry knew that Bill wanted to listen, that Bill wanted to learn, that Bill wanted to know about what was going on in his locker room and, and the people that he were dealing with in his locker room. And I think that's the part we miss is we don't listen well. You know, we don't listen well enough in terms of listening to the plight of other people. And who are we to ever judge somebody if we've never walked in their shoes. And I think that that's what Walsh was really trying to do. And I, and, and, I, and I think Al was always that. I think Al would have been at the forefront of this. He would have been able to give a, a conversation about it. I think if you do one thing this week, I think after you listen to the GM Shuffle podcast, you should listen to Coach George Raveling on the G on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Tim Ferriss asked Coach Raveling, who doesn't do very many podcasts. He's kind of he's 82 years old. He's been sequestered in his home through the virus. He's very concerned, but he's got incredible wisdom in terms of this whole movement and he understands what needs to happen. I think it's a tremendous, but I think we need more people like that 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 speak up and lead us at, at this time when it's most difficult. 
Empathy is in short supply, I agree. And that's why everyone seems to have an opinion before they're actually invested in understanding the situation. For example, here everyone's saying defund the police. Immediately people get upset, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean in Minneapolis are going to defund the police? You're going to try to repair something that's broken and make it better. And you don't want to stereotype people, whether it's the police and law enforcement, whether it's African-Americans. But you have to realize these situations have been going on for far too long and some change has to happen. To that end, make me smarter, Mike. How is what's happening right now tying to Steve Jobs' famous Think Different campaign? You know, when you, when you go back, and, and I've been doing a lot of research on Steve Jobs uh, for the book because I, I think Steve Jobs is one of the people that could see the non-obvious fairly clearly. I mean, when Steve Jobs came back to his company, the second time he realized that Apple had lost their core identity. He realized that Apple didn't really stand for anything and who they are as a company and what they wanted to become as a company were completely different than when Steve left. And so when he came back, you know, he wanted to be able to launch a campaign to really get Apple back to the roots of who they were. And what we don't realize is, is part of leadership is to sell something that people don't necessarily think they're buying. You know, Walt Disney sells happiness. Nike sells, you know, they don't sell shoes. They sell athletes. They sell being athletic. And Jobs wanted to sell think different. Now, the correct terminology of that would be to think differently. But he didn't want that. He fought hard with the advertisers that I wanted to be able to think different. And when you go back and look at that campaign, you know, he's describing what's going on. Here's to the crazy one, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in a square hole, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. They have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify them, vilify them. And the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. While we may see them as crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the one that does it. And he has a montage of people from Martin Luther King to you know Thomas Edison to Albert Einstein to Amelia Earhart. And so his point was people that use a Mac want to change the world. He wasn't selling gigabytes. He wasn't selling you know, storage, he was selling the idea to change the world, think different. And I think that that's what this movement has to force us to do is to think different. At first, I was cynical. I said, okay, I like the fact people are doing this, but how much can you change? You're talking about, you know, centuries of oppression, decades of law enforcement that is faulty, whether it's chokeholds, whether it's uh, unnecessary abuse, racial profiling, et cetera. Like, how can you fix this by people marching? But you're right. Then I look at MLK and I say, look at that movement. Look at what happened. Maybe real change can be created. And that's why optimism starts to follow. And you're right. Jobs clearly was smart with that campaign to show people who are willing to, to think outside the margins. When you think outside the box, you can be an innovator and you can really create real change. Speaking of something we've never seen before in real change, how about this for the NBA? By the way, you can follow us on Instagram, MLombardiNFL, same as his Twitter handle. You can follow me, Adnan Esferk, and also our Instagram pages, The GM Shuffle. Good news, Mike, for all of us sports fans starved for some action. The NBA is going to be back. Apparently, according to plan, July 31st, we're going to Disneyland. 13 <laughs> Western Conference teams, nine Eastern Conference teams will play eight 
regular season seeding games, then a possible play-in tournament for the eighth seed, and then we've got the playoffs. I thought initially we'd just go right to the playoffs, but fair enough. You want to try to include some of those teams that are in the mix, especially when you look at six games of eighth place in the two conferences. So, you know, you've got New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, Phoenix, and Washington. All those teams are going to get their chance to get in. The NBA, by the way, said the season's resumption contingent on agreement with the Walt Disney Company, of course, owned by uh, which owns ESPN, owns the Walt Disney Resort, et cetera. And they're going to start training in Orlando starting July 9th to the 11th. Awfully tough, Mike. You're going full throttle. You're just pounding it every single night. All of a sudden, take a huge break and come back. How perilous is going to be? What's the key for the coaches to get these teams back? You know, I, I really have been thinking a lot about this. I think this is a unique problem for coaches. I think they're, they're going to have to deal with two issues in the NBA. They're, and I think the NBA is in tune to it, whether it's Greg Popovich, whether it's Rick Carlisle. But I, I think you're going to have to really understand what is going on in Orlando. And you've got to be able to build back trust within your team. I think that's going to be the most critical component. I think this, the whoever wins the NBA tournament this year, whoever wins the championship, is it's going to be from a trust standpoint between the coaches and the players. There has to be a mutual trust between them and, and the coach has to really rebuild it. It isn't like when they all come back, they say, okay, here we are. Let's just start off again. I, I think there's been so much time, so much separation. The world has changed dramatically from the time March 14th to when they get back at the end of June that you're going to have to build trust back up. And trust within the players is going to be critical. And then I think the hardest thing to do is to convince when you play in this kind of tournament, conditioning probably matters more than anything. I think the teams that are conditioned, that are willing to to go the extra mile, to be able to play in the fourth quarter, because there's been such a layoff that conditioning is going to separate the men from the boys here. There's no doubt. And I think the other area, the third area I would suggest is how does coach handle boredom? Because think about this, AD. They're going to be in training camp for three months. They're going to still stay in the same hotel. They're all going to get tested. They're going to be very limited exposure to the outside world. There's no, hey, let's go down to Miami and hang out at South Beach. You know, there's no airplane travel. If you do that, you're going to be quarantined for two weeks. Very limited outside eating. So the coach's job is how does he prevent boredom from getting in? How does he prevent them from tuning themselves out? And I, and I think that's going to be a huge challenge. I think they're going to have to really bond together as a team and and really become one. Not that they all share the same interests, but they're going to have to. It's a little going to be like a little bit like a high school team. They must get yellow school buses and just bond themselves together. Yeah, it's like a retreat. I mean, I saw people tweeting about that saying, "Hang on a second, nothing on the road." Like, not to be <laughs> indelicate, but a lot of guys like to get on the road to have a little fun, meet some girls, go out and party, have a few drinks. And you're right, that socializing aspect of it's gone. It's literally play the game, get back to the hotel. Maybe some family can be involved, but again, you're not you're not going out for dinner. There's no socializing here. It literally has to be all business. And I think if it was one month, if you told somebody, hey, one month, I just need you to focus on the task at hand, just play a bunch of games, get back to the hotel, play Fortnite, play some games, FaceTime, we're all good. But you're right, three months, 
that's going to be a challenge. And in some ways, that's a war of attrition. Some of these guys are just going to lose it. And it dovetails with your second point, which is conditioning matters. Eventually, when you just get bored and stuff, you get lazy and start doing other stuff, which isn't, again, keeping the task at hand. Yeah. And I think this, and I think the other two areas that they're going to really have to focus on is, is they have to explain to the players, because we're in such a unique environment, it's going to become a game of adjustments. I mean, there's no travel, so there's no time. There's no going home to your family. It's all business, right? So, you know, like, and I'm not saying coaches would cheat on this, but there's more time for curiosity because what else are you going to do? You're going to go back, watch the tape. You're going to, it's a game of adjustments now. And the, t- and the p- coaches that can get the players to buy into the adjustments to the change, to handle change is going to be really critical. Hey, here's how I think we need to play this. You know, we're playing Phillies playing Boston and Brad Stevens against against uh, Brett Brown and, and they adjust to the adjust the adjust. So that's easy to think you can get that done, but you got to get your players to buy into it. And that's where I think the number one thing, if I was a head NBA basketball coach, the number one thing I would hit the players with the first day they were back is you got to trust me. And we got to have competitive stamina. We have to have competitive stamina. We have to compete on a long-term basis. If we don't have competitive stamina, we will lose quickly. Because in this environment, it's dog-eat-dog. And then I think how the coaches are able to block out the distractions. I think that's going to be really critical. You're going to have to integrate their family life into it. But how do they handle it? I can remember having lunch with Bobby Knight. Belichick and I were sitting there, and Bob Knight used to say all the time, you know, if I could put these guys in a monastery and just have 12 guys, all we did is focus on basketball, we would have the best team, but I can't. It's kind of a little bit like that now. They're going to be able in one, they're going to be almost in a monastery. They're going to have to stay where they are and handle it. And I think it's really going to come down to the leadership of the coach, competitive stamina, block out distractions. How do they fight boredom? convince players conditioning matters, and then most of all, they've got to build back trust. Yeah, because it's not like it's March Madness. Hey, like one and done and move on. Like these are still going to be best of five, best of seven NBA playoff series. That's a grind. And rather than, all right, play two games at home, travel day, two games that don't travel, they come back. No, you're all in one place. So like that, that whole thought of you just can't escape anybody, you can't escape the goal. It really is going to separate the men from the boys. And obviously, we'll just be thrilled to get sports back. It's been a long three months so far. It'll be another month and a half till we get basketball. Uh, obviously, NASCAR is back. UFC is back. PGA Tour will be back this weekend. Uh, English Premier League soccer is coming back in about a week. So it's good news as we try to turn the corner. Stay tuned. It's never too early to think about how to win money in the 2020 NFL season. Mike and I breaking down how the public is betting the NFC South specifically and the mistakes people are making. That's next. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops 
driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Well, when it comes to the upcoming season, the NFL says we're going to play this full season. That means that season-long bets could actually play out. DraftKings Sportsbook has released betting splits for team win totals. Gives us a good look at what the public sees and what everybody else is thinking. So let's kick this off. New Orleans Saints, win total of 10.5. Notable additions, Malcolm Jenkins, who criticized Drew Brees publicly. Emmanuel Sanders, Jameis Winston now backing up Drew Brees, Cesar Ruiz, and Zach Braun. So, Everyone on the Saints to hit the over. Ten and a half, my good team for a year ago. Obviously a great coach. Brady's a little bit longer in the tooth, but a two-year deal. What do you think of ten and a half wins? Well, I think this. I think one of the key elements to betting is that you must understand where the public money's going, okay? And, and one of the advantages that I've had this past year and why I think I was somewhat successful is to be able to understand where the betting public was going and then go the opposite way. So for example, the Saints, 99% of the handle that is coming in is on the Saints going over the number. 90% of the bets are on the Saints going over. Only 10% of the bets are the under and 1% of the handle. That's remarkable. So what does that tell me? That tells me that if I think the Saints are going to win 11 games, I should probably pass. I think I would stay under here because I think everybody's going over. And look, let's face it, AD, they don't build those casinos because they're stupid, right? <laughs> this, to me, smells like a trap. This is a trap. And you got everybody betting this. And when the house doesn't win, you know, there's a problem. So I think that's really important in your betting vernacular. you got to know where the money is going. It's a little bit like the market. Know where the money's going. Look, initially, I think the Saints should win 11 games. But when I saw these numbers, as much as I'm making my mind, my right side of my brain says football, they should win 11. My left side says, no, no, no. Something's fishy here. Step away. It's interesting because you're right. If I was betting just on football alone, if you said they went 11, 12, or 13, I'd say, yeah, I'm going to take that bet. But that's interesting what you're saying with the numbers. How about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Win total of nine and a half. So the over, 63% handle, 72% of the bets. The under, a 37% handle, 28% bets. You got Brady. You got Gronk. You drafted Tristan Wirfs. You got Antoine Winfield Jr., the safety. Nine and a half is the win total. As you and I have discussed, though, 10 wins, not necessarily. I, I don't like it. You know, there's this German study that was done years ago, and it was basically pulling the rope. You know how we have a tug of war on the rope? And the more people that were pulling the rope, the less effective it was. So, for example, if one side had six people pulling the rope and the other side had had four, the team with four actually could beat the team of six. Now, you say, how could that be? Well, because the team of six don't always exert their most effort. They think, you know, because there's so many of us, we're all, you know, you don't have to give as much. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They think because they're signing 
Tom Brady that they don't have to give as much. Brady will handle it. And I made the point today in a column for The Athletic that basically, are we sure, are we 100% confident that Tom Brady is good for Bruce Arians or is Jameis Winston better for Bruce Arians? Because I see this a little bit like Seinfeld. I see this as, remember in Seinfeld where George had, you know, there was coffee shop George and there was relationship George and they couldn't co-mingle. They had to stay separate. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, Bruce Arians is is a little bit like coffee shop George. Free, you know, free flowing, just kind of the life, you know, the party. And then relationship George is Brady, who wants to be conservative, stay down the middle. How these two work together, how they collide, I don't see it work. I don't see it. Everything that Arians does. Now, he wrote a book called The Quarterback Whisper, and he did some remarkable things for Jameis last year. Jameis, but he also killed Jameis. I mean, when you go back and look at Jameis, and I'm critical of Jameis, as you know, by most, most by anybody, but here's the reality. Jameis was 1.8% higher in his quarterback interceptions than he was any other time in his career. Last year was an aberration for Jameis Winston. It wasn't the norm. And part of it was because I don't think I don't think Arians really understood how to make him a better player. And I worry about the Bucks going over. Everybody says it's easy, but 72% of the bets saying they're going to 10. I don't like it. I think if you read my column, I think you'll understand the points I'm trying to make. As always, you can read Mike's work in The Athletic. Atlanta Falcons, seven and a half win total. The over, now this is tricky, 54% handle, 58% bets. The under, 46% handle, 42% bets. So this feels like, you know, they're a seven and nine team, but even people aren't totally convinced. You got Todd Gurley, all right, he's bandaged and beat up. Hayden Hurst, all right. But the Falcons were tricky last year, Mike. The, obviously, a huge disappointment early on. They finished strong, which saved Dan Quinn's job. But they feel like an 8-8 eight and eight team. Right. And this is the perfect way to bet, right? So this is the, the public is split 50-50. It's 54-46, right? So this is the perfect. So now you can take your football instincts and put it into the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, I think Atlanta is going to win seven games. I don't see them as an 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't see them going over. I would bet the under here. This would be a team I would target. I would not stay away. Remember about betting, and it's like drafting. Elimination is as important as finding, right? So we have to eliminate things when we're in the betting world. So eliminating, to me, I would eliminate the, the Saints. I would eliminate the, the Bucks because there's too much one-way action. I see it the other way. But when you get this 50-50 action, that's the perfect way to bet. I'd bet Atlanta on the under. Okay, and last team, of course, in the division is the Carolina Panthers, a five-and-a-half win total. The over, a 79% handle, 81% bets. 21% handle is under 19% bets. Panthers, I mean, listen, new head coach, offensive quarter, starting quarterback. Last season's five wins were their fewest since 2010. How do you feel the Panthers? Is this a 6-10 and 10 team? Therefore, you take the over? I like the over here for the Panthers, except I'm worried about the public being with me. You know, and, and again, once again, I don't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member, right? <laughs> Isn't that what Groucho Marx once said? Yeah. Again, I'm going to pass on this, although I like the thinking, but I don't want to be in that thinking. I want to be separate of that thinking. So therefore, I would go under. I think Matt Rule is going to do a good job. But here's what I'm worried about. Because we haven't had an offseason, I think all these coaches, these new coaches, are going to be hurt by this. And I think it's going to suffer a little bit. I think that they're going to peak later in the season, not early in the season. 
All right, that's the thoughts right now with the betting odds. When we come back, we're going to give our picks for something else. You can bet on this. What are the best fast food chains in America? We'll tell you next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, honestly, the home cooking gets tiresome, I think, for the wife. After a while, she's like, God, how much cooking do I do? Can't we just eat out a little bit? So yes, in spite of the pandemic, road trip season is upon us. Of course, that means fast food. The biggest chains in the country. Well, number one remains McDonald's. 14,036 locations which is not number one, by the way, but they're number one in sales. $37.5 billion in America as of 2017. Number two is Starbucks, $13.2 billion, 13,930 uh, sites. The most locations is Subway. Subway has almost 26,000 locations, $10.8 billion. Number three, Burger King's four, Taco Bell's five. I'm not going to read the whole list here, but Mike, for me out of the gate, I'm going McDonald's, of course, great fries. I love the shakes. Who's turning down a hamburger or a cheeseburger? Nuggets, the Big Macs, I'm all in. Subway, I'm eating fresh. Chick-fil-A is fantastic. Panera Bread, my wife is big in, so I get into that. And Chipotle for a little bit of Mexican. For perspective, Panera Bread's 11th, Chipotle is 12th. Are you going to go with old staples like KFC or Domino's Pizza Hut? Where are you going? You know, I, this idea came, uh, Matt Humans on, on VEASAN was talking about uh, his fast food places. And he had places like I didn't even know or recognize. So I'm like, you can't have that. Like, like you can't put In-N-Out Burger on your top five if you don't live in California. Like, I mean, and I've been, I mean, there's some, on, there's some as you move further across the country, but they're limited. Like, I think In-N-Out Burger, but to me, I'm going Popeyes. I think Popeyes is the best because you can get chicken and you can get the chicken sandwich. Then I'm going Chick-fil-A. I think Chick-fil-A is outstanding. I yes. think Chick-fil-A, especially the biscuits in the morning, I think you can't go wrong with that. Then three, I I would probably go this is always hard for me because like I'm not I'm not as fat as I am. I I'm not really a big fast food guy. You know, it's like I, I see all these numbers. I'm like, Jesus God, if I could eliminate fast food, I I would probably be skinny, but I don't eat fast food that much. But I would say probably I'm gonna go Wendy's three. I like Wendy's. And then oh, I I know which one's not on here that I love. And and I love I love Shake Shack. I yes. think Shake Shack's outstanding. I would go Shake Shack three, Wendy's four. And probably Panera Bed 5. 
I was about to say, Shake Shack, not on the list. If we're including Shake Shack, then I'm with you 100%. I might go Shake Shack number three. I'd go McDonald's, Subway, Shake Shack, Chick-fil-A, Panera Break. Shake Shack, it's interesting. I was watching the uh, creator Shake Shack once. They were focused on 60 Minutes. And he was discussing, you know, what, what is the appeal of Shake Shack? How The burger has been made forever. How did Shake Shack become this entity that everyone would be a part of? And he said, you know what it was? The bun. You don't fight the bun. It's a good, well-made burger. You have nice condiments and different options. And the bun's a soft bun when you bite into. You don't fight the bun. That's critical. Yeah, I think that's important. You know, I will admit, though, I, I was I needed to go to Hardy's Rehab. When I, was, when I first started out on the road with the 49ers, my area was from San Francisco to Chicago, north to south. So, And I drove it. I drove every inch of it, right? And so what I got addicted to was Hardy's Mocha Shakes. Like Hardy, Arby's, it was Arby's, Hardy's. It was like, it was really Arby's. They, it was a mocha shake at Arby's. And I like, I couldn't pass one on the road without going to it. Like, I was like, okay, I'm going to get me a mocha shake. And that might be the only thing I ate that day, but I was going to go get a mocha shake. Like, I had to have it. It was so good. That was like addicting to me. I was like, I, would, I came back to the 49ers that weekend. And I was like, Millie, I got to go into mocha shake rehab. I mean, there's just, I mean, send me up to Minneapolis because I'm in trouble here with, uh, what's that uh, clinic up the Mayo? I got to go to the Mayo Clinic to go handle it. It was, I was so bad. Like, and now I don't even see it. Like I, I see an Arby's and I really want to do it. I don't think it's on the menu anymore, but they get you. Like I'm telling you, Chick-fil-A breakfast sandwich is incredible. Uh, to your point about liking one thing, and I'm sure they've done studies about this. My wife was like that with Jack in the Box Oreo shake. I mean, there's nothing in Jack in the Box I'm interested in, but she got me the Oreo shake and you're right. It just it pulls you in like a magnet. I'm amazed at some of this money. Like Hardee's gets $2.2 billion. Jimmy John's $2 billion. Zaxby's $2 billion. I, I, get in, I don't know anybody who gets Carl's Jr. Apparently $1.5 billion. Five guys, one point four billion. It's incredible. America's obsession with fast food. It, it really is, and you know, it's like I was. I would kid Matthew when he was coaching down at Baylor. I'm like, like, who's going to Long John Silver? Seriously, like, who goes to Long John Silver? <laughs> but when I look at these numbers, I'm like, holy shit, people actually go to this stuff. Last thought for us: thirteen years ago tonight, you know what happened in America? Tony Soprano took his family out for some onion rings and a guy in a members-only jacket was there. Uh, it has been widely criticized. At the time, it was very controversial. I'll admit, Mike, at the time, I was frustrated. I said, no, come on, that's it. That's a cop-out. you got to give me a resolution. People were complaining. They thought their cable went out. Over time, I think it's more brilliant than ever. I think it was so smart what David Chase did. And for the record, Mike and I are on record as saying Tony Soprano did not die. He continued to live his life with paranoia, with fear. That ending is, of course, playing on so many movie tropes, The Godfather, etc. And when the camera goes black, it doesn't mean Tony Soprano got whacked. It means we got whacked. The audience gets whacked. You can't watch anymore. 13 years ago, tonight, Mike. Unforgettable night. I can really remember sitting there watching it. I thought something happened to my television. I miss it so goddamn much. It's it's sad. I got to go back and watch. I was w just watching the the scene where you know Patsy's peeing in Tony's pool. They don't know what to do. He's kind of a stunad. He can't get it. I mean, I can go back and watch a thousand things. And every day there's something that comes up that you could just tweet to somebody. You know, what you know when someone's not acting strong. It's like when remember when Johnny Sacramoni when he cried. How can we trust a man who cries? <laughs> you know, what's he telling the cops?
It's the best. You mentioned Patsy Parisi. My favorite Patsy moment is when he tells Gloria, Annabelle Ciora, like, you ever see Tony again, you're dead, and you're not going to see his face again. You're going to see mine. <laughs> <laughs> that was classic. I know the drill. that, that If I'm not back in 20 minutes, they come looking for me. I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> and then he goes in. And then, and then the best part about that whole scene was he, he goes back to his normal life. He picks the groceries up for his wife. He gets the milk. He gets in his car. Like, one minute, he's trying to threaten to kill somebody, and the next minute, he's going home. It is the appeal of the Sopranos, the sacred of the Profane. Thanks as always for checking us out the GM Shuffle. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We'll be back next time with a new episode. <laughs>